0: You know, today we're focusing on um, a Global Mission Sunday. You know, our mission statement is to go deeper in Christ and further in mission. Uh, today we're going to be focusing a little bit more on further in mission. And the further in mission part is that God calls all of us to reach and to serve for Christ, those that are in our circle of influence, family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, but also in our community in Salina, but also to go and make disciples in all parts of the world. And the great news is, is because we're a part of this church, we're partnering with many different mission partners globally as they're at work making disciples in different parts of the world. And we wanted to share with you another prayer resource. Uh, We invite you to use a prayer experience Every Sunday as we're going through, what would Jesus pray? And there's this missionary prayer booklet that's in the back of the worship center. It's also going to be at the um, spotlight tables, out in the ministry tables. And in this missionary prayer booklet, we've got all of our mission partners listed, their profile, information about them and their family, and also specific prayer needs that they're asking our church to join with them in prayer. And so we have an opportunity. So we're inviting you to pick this up. Be praying for our missionaries throughout this whole week. And then see if God would invite you to use this booklet for the rest of the year to be praying for our mission partners. Okay? Well, today's scripture passage, there's three readings. They all come out of Matthew. So if you turn to Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 7, that's the first reading, Matthew 7, starting in verse 7. And it's going to be on the screen behind me. Now, this is Jesus speaking. And he says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find knock and the door will be open to you for everyone who asks receives the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks the door will be opened which of you if your son asks for bread will give him a stone or if he asks for a fish will give him a snake if you then though you are eager, invite and introduce dale lusk dale is the international director of global engagement for the department of serve globally did you pick up global in that title so Dale is involved in mission work all over the world and partners with churches to get churches to be, to be involved in mission work, and he helps us with a number of uh, mission opportunities as well. So can you welcome Dale as he comes to share God's word with us? Well, I want to start out with a confession
1: to everyone today. I often don't expect God to do unbelievable things. I admit it. My prayer life doesn't go that way. A lot of times when I'm praying, I'm not really praying for the unbelievable to happen. I, I pray, but not for that. And a lot of times my life isn't that way. I don't live my life believing a lot of times that God is going to do something unbelievable. It's not that I haven't had unbelievable things happen in my life. Every once in a while, like once a decade, you know, something really, really unbelievable happens. One story I have is June 21st, 2000. I was at the beach with some friends and and uh, their 12-year-old, one of my friend's 12-year-old sons, James, didn't know how to swim, but he wanted to go in the water. So he went with me and I was body surfing and I told him, you know, stay close to the shore. Don't get too far out since you can't swim. I want you to stay safe. And If you ever gone to the ocean over time, you kind of slowly drift. If you've noticed, the current takes you and... We ended up being about 150 yards from everybody else. And I was about ready to be done. I was tired. I wanted to take one more wave. And as I came in, I found out that James had accidentally stepped off a little sandbar shelf. and was now floating in about 10 feet of water. And at that moment, all the waves started crashing in. I mean, all of a sudden it got really windy and waves. And he goes, help me, help, help. I'm drowning, help. Well, I'm not the greatest swimmer in the world. I'm not like lifeguard certified. And you're taught all the time that usually it's the person who tries to save someone from drowning ends up drowning. That was in my mind. But I can't let a 12 year old drown in front of me. So I go out there and I'm like, okay, I think like you put him on their back or something. So I put him on his back and I put his arm and I'm trying to swim with one arm in the waves. It gets, gets more and more rough and I'm getting more and more tired. And eventually I'm thinking if I don't let go of him, I'm going to drown. So I let go and I start swimming frantically towards the shore. I'm like, when in the world am I going to get to that sandbar? And finally I did and I turned around and he was about 25 yards out and he was saying, don't let me drown. Don't let me die. I looked around as anybody can help us, but I didn't see anybody for a long ways. There were two kids with boogie boards over there and I thought, well, they're about 150 yards away. But by the time I go all that way, by the time I come all the way back, that he's not going to be there anymore. I'm God. I don't know what to do. Help! All of a sudden, there was this surfer. Now, I live in an all-Hispanic area. So imagine this guy. He had white hair. He had really light skin, and he had a white surfboard. I'm like, that's interesting. And where did he come from? And he was walking straight to where James was floating in the water. And I said, can, can you help him? He's drowning. He's drowning. But the surfer kind of being like a surfer, dude, is kind of slowly going. And, Could you hurry up? He's drowning. And he said to me, don't worry. At that moment, I kind of turned around and I threw up some water out of me and I just turned right back around and James was on the surfboard with the surfer coming in. And I thought, OK, how did that happen that fast? So he brought James in at an angle. I was over here and I come over to James. James is on the edge of the water now, throwing up all this water. And I turn around to thank the surfer. And there's nobody there. I looked everywhere on the beach. I looked out there. There's no surfer. Where did he go? I went to James. I'm like, uh, James, what did that guy say to you? And James said, who I said, the surfer, the white headed, the light colored surfer, the white surfboard. What did he say to you? And he goes, what surfer? All I remember was I was in the water and now I'm here. I don't remember anything. Sometimes, sometimes unbelievable things are what God does. But, you know, it just doesn't happen that often. And so as we live our life, we kind of stop praying that way. Now, okay, I do pray. I pray. I pray normal prayers. I pray, I believe God can do things. I believe. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened. Because when you ask, you will receive. Seek you will find. You know, knock, the door will be open. I believe that and I do pray. I'm a missionary. I have to raise a lot of money, I pray. I have to raise way more than most covenant missionaries because I have 20 international staff people I have to raise money for. And so I raise a lot of money in every October. There's never enough. And the budget comes due at the end of the year. And every October, Lord, please help. Please help us meet our budget. And he does every year. But usually in October is when I really start praying about that. And then every December, we don't have as many mission teams as I wish there were. We have a lot of churches that would love to receive teams. And every December, Lord, our ministry's going downhill. Lord, please bring us some more teams. And every year he does. And then, you know, maybe in Panama, for say, we don't have any staff, let's say. We really need a really great staff person in Panama. And so I'll pray, Lord, please lead us to someone and we'll meet someone. They'll be great. I pray. And God answers my prayers. But the problem is my prayer life. I don't really pray for the unbelievable. I pray for the things that I think God can do, but I don't pray for the unbelievable. Can you believe that? But that's the way we can be. I have a friend um, who runs a children's home. She's not this way. I don't like the way she runs her children's home. It's very disorganized. I mean, it's just flying by the seat of your pants all the time. I'm like, come on, there's got to be a better way to run this children's home. But this is how she runs it. If they don't have any milk, she gets together with her staff. They get together and they pray and they say, Lord, we need milk. Bring us some milk. And then later that day, some farmer will be driving by and say, I've got all this extra milk. It's going to spoil. Can you use it? Yeah, sure. A few days later, they won't have fruit. And so they will pray, Lord, we don't have any fruit. Bring us some fruit. Sam's Club will call them up. You know, we don't have room for all this fruit. Can you take a pallet full of uh, canned fruit? Sure. And they go pick it up. And a few days later, they'll have uh, a bill for electricity. It'll be 4,236 pesos. They'll pray, Lord, we need 4,236 pesos to pray to pay our electric bill. And they will pray. And then later that day, someone will come and say, I got a bonus at work. I've got this extra money I want to share. So here, and they'll count it. How much is it? Four thousand two hundred and thirty six pesos. It happens all the time. It drives me crazy because I keep telling her, you got to be more organized. You've got to have better structure. She's like, why? Every time I pray, God does unbelievable things. I ask, you know. Sometimes I feel like our American culture gets in the way of us believing that God can do the unbelievable. I train mission teams and when a group is going out somewhere, part of what we talk about is what will you learn from them and what will they learn from you? And so I always ask the Americans, what do you think people in other countries, churches in other countries can learn from Americans And always, it's completely quiet. The Americans are like, "Um, hmm, hmm, well, I don't know, hmm. They never have an answer. I was at Alert Covenant Church in Leonardville last night. I asked that question, and of course, no one said anything. But a fifth grader, because they're sending a team with kids, fifth grader said, well, you know what I think they can learn from us? We're really good at shopping. Yeah, that's something they can learn. And then a first grader said, well, I know something they can learn from me. I am great at eating candy. Absolutely. But the two things that a lot of people have shared with me as I've done this for 24 years with mission teams, there's two things they say we learn a lot of from Americans. Number one, they're really organized. Now, we're not like Swiss people, I understand, but we're pretty organized. And so when a team comes, they're all prepared and they have all their equipment they need and everything's all scheduled out and people have their roles and everything. And oh, my goodness. And then they'll come to me and they'll say, wow, Americans, man, you guys are really organized. I wish I could learn how to be more organized. I know about this because I married a Mexican wife. I know what it means when your culture is not organized. I'm in charge of my son's room. And so my son and I go in, we make his bed, we have all the toys all organized, the underwear, one drawer, socks in one drawer, shorts, play shorts, everything's all organized. My wife is in charge of my daughter's room. There's dolls everywhere. There's paper here. There's a sock here and another sock way over there in that drawer. There's all kinds of clothes and everything's all messed up. You can't even walk in that room. I live, that's because her culture, organization's not a big deal to her. But we are organized. The other second thing that people love about Americans is we're super creative. When there is an issue to be solved, we love solving it. And we love coming up with a way, a creative way to take care of it. Oh, yeah, we love that. I mean, I grew up in the Silicon Valley. I grew up down the street from Apple. I grew near, up near Intel and Google and Facebook and all that stuff. We love inventing things. We love creating solutions to things. We love being creative. <clears throat> Even in church, we get creative and create these prayer rooms that are all super creative, right? That's what we do. And they loved all the creativity. Like, those are good ideas. That's a good idea. I like that idea. I like that idea. And the organization and creativity of our American culture has done a couple things. It has helped us as families, not every family, but many families, most families in the United States are economically independent. We don't really need other people to help us out. We're able to find our own way. And secondly, has created the United States of America that is the economic powerhouse of the world. We have way more resources than anybody else. I wonder, though, what has those two things done to our prayer life? What have those two things done for us in prayer? Because when we have a crisis or we have an issue, what do we do? I tell you what I do when I have a crisis in my life. I pray, dear Lord, please help me with this. And then I kind I organize and I'm going to organize a plan. And I'm ooh, what can I do? I could do that. And I creatively come up with a solution and it all gets solved. I pray about that much and I'm involved about this much. That's what we do. Even a church does that, right? When a church has an issue, what do we do? Form a committee. Okay, so the first you pray a little bit. But then you form a committee and then the committee decides who's going to be on the committee to decide who's going to be on the committee to solve the problem. And then that committee decides who's going to do it. So you've got the committee for the committee of the committee and the committee. That's how we solve our problems in church. Right. A little bit of prayer and a lot of committees. okay? And that's our culture. And I wonder if that kind of has caused us as a culture to not pray for the unbelievable as much because when you go on a mission trip somewhere else around the world, you're confronted with the unbelievable all the time. That's why I love it when people go on mission trips because they are reminded that God is the God of the unbelievable. They're reminded we're all reminded you go to Latin America, you go to Africa, No resources at all. People living in incredible poverty. And yet the church is exploding. How is that possible? The church is exploding. Most Christians in the world live in Latin America and Africa. They don't live in the United States, but they don't have even anything. No resources whatsoever. No resources. And yet you have a church in Guatemala that says there's an area called El Cujay, that where we should maybe plant a church because there are no churches. So even though we have no resources, we're going to do it. You've got a church in Panama that sees that the education program isn't good enough. They don't have any money. They don't have any teachers. They don't have much land. Ah, but I don't know. Let's start a school. And so they start a school. Let God take care of it. A church in Brazil where a guy felt like he had vision for... Um, um, a prison for youth where the, the youth were just really languishing in there. He got his whole church involved. They go to this prison all the time. They have soccer tournaments and do, do all kinds of programs with youth. They don't have any resources there. Let's just go and see what God does. You go to Congo and the missionaries, because the civil wars have to keep coming in and out and in and out. And yet they have medical needs galore They don't have any resources, but somehow they figure it out. They just have God do the unbelievable all the time. When you go to those places, you're like, this is unbelievable. How in the world is this happening? And you're reminded that God is the God of the unbelievable. I was just in uh, France. The church in Europe has been dead for 50 years. The culture in Europe is so oppressive, so oppressive to the church. I was on a ferry boat once between Stockholm and Helsinki, talking to some guys going to the World Hockey Championships. And I'm like, so what do you think of God? And the one guy said, you know what? God is something you Americans seem to need. But we as Europeans were past that. That's kind of the view of an average European. God is something that's kind of. From the old days. But it's not something that's needed now. How would you like to have a church in the middle of that oppressive environment? But guess what's happened the last year or two? Who's moving into Europe? Refugees. Millions of refugees. I was in Paris looking all around. There's people on the street all over Paris begging, living on the street, living in tents. They all say they're Syrian. I don't know if they all are. But they're everywhere, and the French people are freaking out, wondering, what does this mean? What does this mean for us as a culture? And these are all Muslims, and they're wondering, wait, these people worship something. Is there something in that? And all of a sudden, the church in France is so excited. There's some vital revitalization happening. They're like, this! Is our opportunity. We've been waiting and something unbelievable is happening. People are going to start coming to the church. They're going to start coming to Jesus. And they are so passionate and excited. You get excited about what God can do unbelievably when you go. And then you go to Asia where a lot of the oppression is more faith based If you're in a country where Buddhism is number one, the Buddhists will oppress. If the Hindus, the Hindus will oppress the Muslims, the Muslims will oppress. The church just keeps growing. Could you explain that to me in the middle of all that oppression? The churches in Taiwan and in India, in Thailand, in mainland China just keep growing. How is that? possible in the middle of all that faith oppression that they're in. You go to a covenant church in Taiwan, you go to youth group, you hear their testimonies. Every kid, every kid will say, I am the only follower of Christ in my entire family. My Buddhist family has disowned me, but I love Jesus with all my heart. You're like, that is unbelievable. You go to India and the Hindustani covenant church has all kinds of programs for trapped women who have been sold as sex slaves and they go out and spend time with them and they lead them to Christ and get them out. And the story after story is unbelievable. You go to a, <laughs> I went to a new members class at a at a covenant church in India. And, oh, this family used to be Muslim. This family was Hindu. They were prostitutes. They were sold as slaves. That's an unusual um, new members class. I don't know if you have any like that here. It's unbelievable. Um, You go to the Middle East. I heard from um, Andy Larson, who's um, the covenant missionary working in the Mosaic Project. And he said... Well, I was telling him, I'm all worried because it seems like the the Islamic world is so strong. They're going to take over. He's like, "Uh -uh, no, they're not. He said, you should hear all these stories. Jesus is appearing in people's dreams. Jesus is appearing in visions. Jesus is speaking to people all over the, the Muslim world. The Internet is causing the Muslims all kinds of problems. Because people are talking about Jesus on secret chat rooms and all kinds of things. He said there's one secret chat room, so secret, that is about three million people involved. And they're all worshiping God over the Internet. Now, they can't tell their families or they'd be killed. But people are coming to Christ in the middle of the Muslim world in places where there are no missionaries and no churches. Is that unbelievable or What? And so when you go, you're reminded God is a God of the unbelievable. Jesus knew it, right? He's from, He was in Galilee, very low income, very oppressed by the Roman government, even oppressed by the, the Jewish church, if you want to call it that, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And yet he knew God is a God of the unbelievable. In fact... There's those two, I think those two um, passages in Matthew are kind of weird, don't you? I think there's a a demon possessed boy and the father comes, says, Jesus, can you cast out the demon? Sure. And the demon, you know, I get that part. Okay. then the disciples go, Jesus, how come we couldn't cast out that demon? And Jesus said, well, it's because you don't have any faith. He said, if you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you'd be able to tell that mountain to move. I'm like, oh, come on. Really? And then in Matthew 21, there's the story of the fig tree. Jesus is hungry. Walking down da, the da, 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 fig tree. hmm, Any fruit? There's no fruit. Wither. I mean, does he have some anger management issues? What's up with Jesus? It's a poor tree. It's not his fault. Tree gets all withered. So disciples are like, wow, that was pretty cool. How'd you do that? He's like, look. If you had faith and you prayed without any doubt, you could do this. You could even tell that mountain to throw itself into the sea and it would do it. I'm like, oh, come on. I haven't seen any mountains flying around, have you? Of course, we're in Kansas. I haven't seen any hills flying around, have you? I haven't seen it. What? But Jesus kept doing it. Those poor disciples. I imagine being one of them. Five thousand people. Okay, they're all hungry. Jesus, send them home. Let them, tell them, have dinner at their own house. No, Jesus said, you feed them. We got five loaves of bread and two fish. Really? You feed them. All right. Well, you know what happened? Twelve baskets of food left over. Ooh. Or then there's the story where the the disciples are all in the boat and there's the big, all the waves and the storm. They're like, ah! And then Jesus comes walking on the water, and, I'm and the funny thing about that story, he wasn't walking to them, he was walking by. <laughs> Do you <ever> read that? <laughs> he wasn't walking to them, he's like, dee, 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 walking. Okay, he's like, ah, it's a ghost, no, it's Jesus, oh. So then Peter gets out, he starts walking on the water. I think that's pretty amazing. And nobody else has ever done that. But then he sees all the waves, and he starts thinking, ah, and Jesus grabs his hand, pulls them up. Now you would think, if I was Jesus, I would say, Peter, that was pretty good. The good try. I mean, you got a few steps out there. That was awesome. No, Jesus goes, oh, you of little faith. Come on. The guy walked on water at least a little bit. Give him some credit. Oh, you of little faith. He was constantly saying, come on, you guys. God does the unbelievable all the time. Don't you get it? Don't you get it? I don't think the disciples did. You know who got it? It was the man with leprosy who said, Jesus, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. It was the Roman officer who said, Lord, all you've got to do is say the word and I know my servant will be healed. It was the two blind men who cried out, Son of David, have mercy on us. They got it. But the disciples didn't until after Jesus left. Then they went, Oh, okay, I get it now. So my question today, do you live as a person who really, truly believes that God can do the unbelievable? But do you do that in a way that you pray that way? Do you pray that way? Do you live that way? Do you live your life saying, yeah, God can do the unbelievable. He's going to do it. Is that how you live? I love that about mission trips. People go on a mission trip and that grows in them. They actually start believing God can do the unbelievable. I remember one time, this is kind of a crazy story. It was a long time ago. There was a group that had two hundred and fifty packets of toothbrushes and toothpaste. And they went to the school because they were told there was gonna be two hundred and fifty kids. When they got there, the principal said, Yep, there's nine hundred kids. They're like, Okay, well. So all right, let's just do what we can do. And they went to all the classes and they kind of went and went and all day long. They just kind of kept going, not really thinking about it, kept going. And every kid got one packet because it was part of the whole you brush your teeth and thing. They kept going, kept going, kept going. They did the whole school. They went back. We're sitting, eating dinner. There's a black bag sitting over there where the toothbrushes and stuff were. Suddenly it's funny. None of us thought of this. One guy gets up, goes in the bag, looks in it. He He counts. He said, there's 100 toothbrush packets in here still. Wait, didn't we just go to school with 900 kids? We started with 250 and we still have 100. And so it becomes kind of normal. Like in Uruguay, I remember there was a group of four women that did computer classes. They weren't doing evangelism. they were doing computer classes in a church. There was a guy. This is the story where he said he was walking to go kill himself. He was going to commit suicide. He was walking to a place, like a park, an area, and he was going to just kill himself. He was walking by this church, and he just kind of like, he'd walk by that church a zillion times, and for whatever reason, he's just kind of, I'm going to go inside this church. He goes in, there's four Americans in there, four American women teaching computers like, this is weird, in the middle of Uruguay. He sits down, kind of watches them, starts getting to the computers. He ends up going to their class all week long. At the end of the week, the church leads him to Christ and he becomes a faithful member of the church. At the end of that week, he told the ladies, did you know, just before I went to that church, I was going to kill myself. But God sent you here to save my life. Unbelievable. The reason I'm sharing with this with you is because the last few months I've been going through some unbelievable things. And I have to share them because I'm so excited. There's a church called People's Covenant Church in San Juan, Texas. It was started in 1912. It didn't become a covenant church till 1990. In 1990, it had about 40 people, all in the ages in 60s and 70s, all of them white, in a completely 100% Hispanic community. For whatever reason, the church was getting smaller and smaller Uh-huh. and smaller. As people died, the church just kept getting smaller. I've lived in that area for 24 years, and I was like, just close the thing. Even church sent the revitalization people down, um, the covenant church did. And at the end of the, the study, they said, close the church. That's the best thing you can do. Close this church. There is no hope for this church. But the church, people were like, no, we've got to keep going. I'm like, close this church. Come on. No faith whatsoever for me in my part. No faith. Um, it was down to 15 people on May 1st, 2016, 15 people. And now they were in their 80s and 90s. Because no one knew had come in 20 years. No one knew had come to that church in 20 years. This church is gone. They asked me to preach on May 8th. So I went, I preached. What do you preach? Fifteen people like. So I preached and I'm preaching and there's what? There's this kid sitting in the church, this Hispanic kid, 20 years old. I went, and took him out for lunch. What are you doing here? He said, oh, well, I've never been to a church in my whole life. But I just moved to the area I was living. I live across the street from the church. I looked at the church. I'm like, eh, I'll go try it. Well, what did you think? Kind of boring. He's like, it was awesome. Really? Yeah. I'm coming back next week. I'm like, really? Yeah. He came back next week and he brought eight friends all his age. There's all of a sudden there's nine Young adult Hispanic kids sitting in one row of the pew and then 15 elderly white people. I'm like, okay. well, some other things happened. I mean, that was a miracle to me. A woman named Barbara who grew up in that church passed away. And we didn't know she had saved. She had squirreled away a lot of money, $250,000. And when she died, she left it to the church. Now I thought, what a waste of $250,000. There's a lot of other ministries out there. She said in her will, I believe and have faith that God is going to do something unbelievable in this church. I'm leaving this money to the church. I'm like, okay. Then there was um, a man named Rodney Sawyer. who used to be the um, superintendent of the Alaska Conference for the Covenant. Of all places he decides to retire in from Alaska... It's San Juan, Texas. Come on! Super talented guy. The superintendent says, Can you help out this church in San Juan? Ronnie's like, Okay. So he goes. He's like, I don't think there's any hope for this church, but I'll come. After Roy came and those nine kids came, a guy named Renee shows up at the church, a retired police officer who's fluent Spanish. I said, for some reason, I feel like coming to this church. He said, can I start a Bible study? I've always wanted to do that. It's like, okay, start one, I guess, you know, within a month, he has 35 people from the neighborhood going to his Bible study on Tuesday nights. Half of them don't even speak English. And then on Sunday mornings now, we've got this whole row of young people. We've got all these Hispanics. Half of them don't speak English in an all English service and 15 elderly people. Okay. It's like. And Rod and Rodney and I are like, this is unbelievable because none of us are doing anything. It's just happening. What is going on? Well, one of the elderly ladies brought her granddaughter. So her fourth grade granddaughter, Mia, keeps coming to church. But, you know, boring for her. So finally, the church comes to me and says, would you like to be the children's pastor at our church? I'm like, yeah, with one kid. Wow. It's going to be great. I said, I'll only do it if you give me some of that $250,000 to make, you know, ping pong, foosball, make a really cool area. Yeah, have whatever you want. I'm like, Beep. so I make this really, fan, you know, great area up there. We have, well, I have two kids. So we had three and it was fun. Well, then I'm standing out in front of the church on the grass and this lady comes up to me. Hey, monk. That's my nickname. Hey, monk. And I'm like, Chip and Dale, the chipmunks monk. Okay. And I'm like, yeah, who are you? Well, I'm Veronica. 20 years ago, you did like a children's program for a week here and I came. That's the only time I've ever been to church in my life. I'm like, you remember me after 20 years? Oh, and I said, so how can I help you? She goes, my kids need Jesus. Is there anything you can do for me? I'm like, what? Who says that? My kids need Jesus. I've never gone to church in my life, but my kids need Jesus. Well, we just started a kids program. Really? So the next week she comes, she brings her two sisters and all their kids, her brother and all her kids and a bunch of friends. Well, then I'm in the mall. I'm walking around and I see this woman named Mobby I haven't seen in a long time. And hey, Mobby, how are you? Oh, it's been tough. I've got divorced. I haven't been going to church forever. And, you know, I think I feel like God's telling me to find a church somewhere. Well, I just started a kids program. Oh, OK, she comes, brings her, her friends, brings her cousins. And all of a sudden, in like four weeks, we went from one kid. We have over 25 kids in the children's program and families galore. This church that had 15 people on the first of May of 2016 has over 100 people attending. Most of them are Hispanic. And we had to fix the, um, the balcony because we couldn't fit everybody. Can you explain to me how that happened? It wasn't, I didn't do anything. Rodney didn't do anything. It was miracle after miracle after miracle. You know what? We always think that it can't be fixed. It can't work. But God is a God of the unbelievable. It is so fun to be in a church where you expect something unbelievable to happen every single week. Rodney, and I are like, what's going to happen this week? And something unbelievable happened. Can you believe that more people have been have come to Christ and been baptized in that church than actually were in that church on May 1st? That's incredible. And so my question for you is what is the unbelievable thing that you would like God to do? Okay? I want you to think about that right now. I'm not talking about a regular old prayer request, you know, my aunt has bunions or whatever, not that kind. I'm talking unbelievable, something that you would never really imagine could ever happen right now. Think about it. I'm serious. Think about it. What is the one unbelievable thing that you would like for God to do? What is it? All right. Now I want you to look at your neighbor. I want you to tell them what it is. You guys got to get closer together. All right. Tell your neighbor. I want you to tell your neighbor right now. What is the one thing, unbelievable thing you want God to do? Maybe, you know, you have someone who has Parkinson's. You wish they were, you know, someone in special needs, someone who's never given their life to Christ. And you're like, man, if that person gave their life to Christ, it would be unbelievable. Maybe it has the Muslim world would kind of collapse in a way that Christianity would take over whatever it is. Tell them, tell them what the unbelievable thing is right now. Go big. Come on. Go big. Okay. Now, what I would like, because we have like, we don't, we have a minute, maybe not really. We have a minute. I would like for you to pray for that person's unbelievable rare request right now out loud in the sanctuary. And then I will close in prayer. Okay. So let's right now, I'll bow our heads and I want you to pray for your The person next to you, what they shared, pray for that unbelievable thing to happen in faith right now. Do it. Lord, we know that you, God, are the God of the unbelievable. As we read Scripture over and over again, you did the unbelievable. And yet, Lord, we admit in our culture, the way it has become, it is sometimes hard to even expect the unbelievable to happen. But today, right now, in this sanctuary, we will say, Lord, give us the faith to expect the unbelievable to happen. That every week when we come to First Covenant Church, us, something unbelievable will happen. That God will do. That in our family, unbelievable things will happen. That's a person, Lord, that we never thought would ever give their life to Christ. They are so far away from Christ. Something would happen and they would come to you. That you would unbelievably get us out of any of the issues, the problems that we have. That you would unbelievably heal the people who are unhealable. That you, God, would change our community in a way that is unbelievable. Change our nation in a way that is unbelievable. That you would change the world in ways that are absolutely unbelievable. Help us to pray that way. Help us to live that way. Because we know it is true. But help us to be a people of unbelievable faith. Because we have an unbelievable God. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.